We're in Genesis 41. Uh, Genesis 41. So uh, instead of reading, uh, just with how much we have to cover, I'm just going to begin in prayer. Uh, So join me as we pray, uh, preparing our hearts to hear God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, being a great God, for being a God who delights to listen to the prayers of his people. Lord, we have praised your name. We have come in confession. We have come in, in our offering. And Lord God, you tell us to come again, Lord, and ask even more of you. So, Father, we do so now. We pray, Lord, that you would be with those in our congregation who are dealing with sickness. I pray for Ken Tatter, Lord. I pray that you, in your, in your kindness, would, would work your salvation in him through his, through his body, God. We pray that you would heal him, Lord, give him more days of this life. And yet, Lord, we pray that as the songs that we've sung, Lord, that though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, God, let this blessed assurance control for his life, that you have regarded his helpless estate and you have shed your own blood for his soul. So, dear God, I pray that you would strengthen him. We pray that you would strengthen uh, Jerry Green, Lord. Um, We thank you so much for healing Miss Judy. We thank you that you have uh, just given her so much kindness and grace. Father, we pray that you would continue to allow her to to heal from uh, this past accident. God, you are so good to us in so many ways, Father. We do not, uh, we know that each day is is a gift, Lord. It's not guaranteed to us. Uh, Father, we do lift up uh, our nation to you. We pray against the violence that we continue to read in the papers. God, we pray that you and your kindness would would work peace among your people. Father, we pray for those who are affected with this shooting in Florida. God, we pray that your gospel would come to bear on the situation, that eyes would be opened, uh, that those who are blind would be opened to the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, that they would see that eternity hangs in the balance and that people would, would cling to the cross, would cling to the Savior. Uh, Father, we do pray for the gospel in our own town. Father, we pray for Scott Davis at Northside Baptist Church. We pray, God, that you would just use him to edify and strengthen your people today. Form that congregation in your likeness. And, Lord, now as your people come together uh, to hear your word uh, here at Park Baptist Church, we pray that you would silence our hearts, uh, that you would soften the ground of our hearts, that we would not rebel against you, God, but we would be willingly uh, ready to hear your word. Father, you know every heart here. You know every, every beat of every heart. You know exactly what each person needs to hear today, young and old. So, dear God, I pray in your kindness that you would speak to your people who you have made in your image. God, that, that through this message, through the, through the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would draw them even to a deeper relationship with you. Father, I am but a man. So, Lord, I ask that I may decrease, that you may increase. That at the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would draw all men unto yourself. Lord, we are about to feast on the bread of life. So, dear God, I pray that you would allow us to feast with joy. Work your purposes among your people, we pray. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, the first Baptist missionary, uh, Adoniram Judson, uh, set sail from India to Burma on July 13, 1813, landing in a city called Rangoon. Uh, Judson, after landing there, would spend the rest of his life suffering for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in Burma. Judson buried two wives and seven children in Burma. It took him six years to baptize their first convert. On June 8, 1824, after moving to the capital of Ava, Judson was dragged from his home and arrested, being accused of being a spy. He would spend the next 17 months in jail. As a prisoner, he sat in chains during the day and at night they would lift up the prisoners so only their head and their shoulders would rest upon 
the ground. His pregnant wife, Anne, would walk miles every day to plead for the case of her husband. After his daughter Maria was born, Anne became sick and was unable to care for his daughter. Uh, the jailer at the prison where Judson was at allowed Judson to go in the town and ask the, the village women if they would nurse their child. Well, Anne became sick and never really recovered um, from the imprisonment. Uh, suddenly, uh, after 17 years of being in jail, Judson was released because the government needed an interpreter to deal with the, uh, a case with England. Uh, but as I said, Anne would never recover from the physical and emotional exhaustion from the imprisonment. Uh, she died on October 24, 1826, followed by their daughter, Maria, only three months later, on April 24, 1827. Three months after that, Judson was aware that his father had passed away eight months earlier. After these three deaths in a nine-month period, uh, Judson was undone. He went into a state of deep depression. Uh, he wrote in a letter, God is the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. Judson felt forgotten. Have you been there? Felt forgotten by God? And although Judson had felt forgotten, we know that God was always with him. We've already seen this in Joseph's life. God is always with his people. Even in our darkest days, when we feel forgotten by God, we know that God is with us. He was with Joseph in his sudden rise in Egypt and his sudden fall. God is with him even when he himself is a forgotten prisoner in Egypt. If you want to follow along in the, the bulletin provided for you, the first heading is the forgotten prisoner. The forgotten prisoner. So Joseph was arrested with false accusation from Potiphar's wife, uh, yet he was placed in the king's prison. We see that from Genesis 39, 20. Uh, of course, he was, God was with him there and received favor from the warden and was placed in charge of all the prisoners. Well, one day, Joseph meets the king's cupbearer and baker. Both of them have dreams one night and don't know how to interpret it. They go to Joseph. Joseph replied, Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell me. Uh, Joseph explains that the cupbearer is going to be restored to his office and, and the, the baker is going to be hanged. Joseph said to the cupbearer after giving the interpretation, only remember me, in verse Genesis 40, 14, and 15, only remember me when, and it will be well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Joseph wants to be released from prison, to be pulled out of the pit and to be rescued, to return to the land of the Hebrews. We've already seen in Joseph's life that he was rescued out of the pit and, and sold into slavery. Now he's asking God to be, to be rescued again, be pulled out of the pit. Well, the chapter ends, chapter 40 ends with uh, Joseph's interpretations being proven true. And look at the end of verse 40, verse 22, it's 23. Yet the cupbearer, the chief cupbearer, did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. In our text this morning, Genesis 41, it says, after two whole years. This forgotten prisoner, Joseph, was waiting for prison in, for two whole years for a crime he didn't commit. 
I think this is instructive for us. We need to develop more of an inner strength as a people when we're going through trials. The trials that we deal with on an average day are, are, are difficult. And we know that there are trials like Judson and Joseph that may be far more advanced than, than we have. But we need to remember that in the midst of those trials, God is with us. We can't bemoan God during times of difficulty. But we must wait for his providence to be revealed. Joseph sat for two years in prison, apparently forgotten, and yet we know the rest of the story. John O., a pastor in Atlanta, writes, The entitled heart says, why me, when God doesn't give them what they pray for? The humble heart says, why me, when he does? If you remember what Joseph, at the beginning of his life, 17 years old, he was entitled, arrogant, and proud. And God would use his sufferings to make him humble and faithful. Beloved, God can't do in your life, God can't make you humble, God can't refine you without suffering and without trials. We need to trust God in the midst of our trials. Judson buried two wives and seven children in Burma. But he was sustained in the midst of his trials because he had an unwavering faith in the providence of God. This is what he wrote in his journal. If I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. When we think about the divine, infinite love and mercy of God's providence, God's sovereign control of your life and mine, we will be prepared for suffering. There are people in this room who are going through extreme suffering now. And there are those of you who are going to be facing severe trials in your life. So you need to prepare yourselves for those trials by trusting in the divine hand of God. Joseph waited for two years. The second heading I want you to see is the faithful prisoner. Not only was Joseph forgotten, but he proved himself faithful. God was using these trials to purify, to, to prune Joseph's faith while he's in prison. And while that's happening, God was beginning to fulfill his plan back from Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, for blessing all the families of the earth through the, pray, through the dreams of a pagan king. Look at the text this morning, Genesis 41, verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing in one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the, seven, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, and there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. 
Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation, a young Hebrew who was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When he told them, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the banker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. Notice that. He brought him out of the pit. We've already seen that in Genesis 37, 27. But this should bring to mind that great Psalm of David, Psalm 40, verse 1 and 2. David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and that set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. Sometimes, beloved, we're in that, that pit, the pit of despair, the pit of, of, of distress. And we pray, God, lift me out of this bog. Lift me out of this pit. God hears the cries of the righteous. Well, we continue with the story in verse 14. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you, of you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He goes on to re-explain the dream uh, to Joseph. What you see here is that Joseph did not trust himself, but he trusted that God would, would work his providence here. He knew that God would give Pharaoh the answer. Uh, As Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, notice that his emphasis is on God's providential hand in the bringing about a famine upon the land. So listen, here's what I'm trying to get at. What I want you to see is that God uses the things in this world to bring about his purposes. Just like we looked at last week, sometimes things happen in our lives individually to affect the corporate body. God is working through tragedy in Joseph's life to bring about his purposes. And he even is going to bring a, about his purposes through a famine in the land. Look at the text. Pick up again in uh, verse 25. When Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good years are, are seven, seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good years are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears plighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty that will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, set him over the land of Egypt, Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. Let them gather all the food of these good years, 
that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities. And let them keep it. The food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt. So the land may not perish through the famine. Joseph, a former president, stands before the highest authority of the land and speaks for one who is even a higher authority. Joseph was a faithful prisoner. Even in prison, he didn't turn away from God, but he, 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 he was strengthened in his faith for God. Just think about how many things have come out of prison. The, the letters of the Apostle Paul. John Bunyan's great Pilgrim's Progress. Dr. King's letters from a Birmingham jail. There are great things have come out of prison. Now remember, Israel would have heard Joseph's story in their own famine of sorts as they were wandering in the wilderness. They would be reminded that God spoke through Joseph to Pharaoh, as God spoke through Moses to Pharaoh. God uses the faithfulness of his people when they speak for him. Beloved, there are coming days when it will be harder for you to speak up for God. Never be ashamed. Never be ashamed to speak for the Lord. As his ambassadors... His representatives here on earth, God will use your words to bring about his purposes, even if it means you have to suffer. The third heading, we see the, the favored prisoner. He was forgotten. He was faithful. Now we see him favored. We see that Joseph just, just, doesn't just interpret his dream, but he gives Pharaoh a battle plan on how to overcome this economic recession. Pharaoh notices that Joseph is different. He's different than, than, than others because he has the spirit of God. And therefore, he places him as ruler over Egypt. Look with me again in, in verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom the spirit is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as your command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. The Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over the house of all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephathna, Paneah, and, gave, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh's king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food for those seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it. For it could not be measured. 
it's a, it's a long narrative. We could spend weeks here in Joseph's life. But what we see is we see the forgotten prisoner, the one who was languishing in jail for two years, become the exalted prince of Egypt, second in line to the throne. Scholar John Walton observes, on the surface, Joseph is made by Pharaoh. Everything he, he is given comes from Pharaoh's hand, his office, status, privilege, name, life, everything. He is reborn as the servant of Pharaoh. The irony is that from the standpoint of Genesis, it is not the hand of Pharaoh that has remade Joseph, but the hand of God. For all the Pharaoh did, God brought Joseph to the recognition of Pharaoh. God gave Joseph wisdom and success. In the end, Joseph is not first and foremost Pharaoh's man, but God's man. He is not Pharaoh's instrument of economic survival. He is God's instrument of salvation. God used Joseph to bring about his purposes. See, Joseph could never have become God's instrument of salvation unless he first suffered as a prisoner. Suffering always comes before exaltation. And, and I think what I'm, what I'm afraid of for, for the American church is that we don't know how to suffer. And because we don't know how to suffer, we may never experience the, the exaltation that God offers. Suffering always comes before exaltation. What we see in Joseph is really just a picture of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Joseph suffered as a prisoner. Then he was exalted, given a new name in Egypt, and was commanded all of Egypt to bow the knee. Now, one greater than Joseph has come. Jesus emptied himself, taking the very form of a servant, being made in human likeness. He humbled himself to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Not only in Egypt, but on earth, in heaven, and other, under the earth, and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Joseph just gives us a window to see the great coming of Christ. Jesus died so others could live. Jesus came as the instrument of God's salvation. The glorious rise of Jesus makes suffering worth it. Joseph thought so. Next heading, the forgetful prisoner. The forgetful prisoner. So in the Old Testament, people use names as a way to remember things. We see this all the time. We see God taking Abram's name and making it Abraham. Sarai, Sarah taking it, Jacob's name and making it Israel. Uh, we see that on the mountain after God provided the ram, that uh, Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. Naming people and places were a, a crucial way for God's people to remember God's favor. So look what Joseph did here in verse 15 and 52. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. 
The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So now God allowed Joseph, every time he looked at his son's face, he would be reminded of God's providence. He'd be reminded of God's loving hand, the, the blessings that he brought upon him. And he would remember that all his suffering, all his pain, all his trials were worth it. Beloved, we must view our trials in light of the cross and the resurrection and the glorious inheritance that is offered all followers of Christ. Paul writes, one who is familiar with suffering, the verse that Adam read for the scripture reading, Romans 8.18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It doesn't mean that your suffering is not bad, that it is not deep and hard. No, what it means is the glory that God will give you is far greater than your suffering. I mean, how do you view your suffering? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, sent to prison by false accusations, was forgotten by the world, but he was never forgotten by God. God exalted him to the highest place in the land after his sufferings so that he would learn that his trials are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Let me close with this last heading, the feasting prisoner. The feasting prisoner. So Judson was on the field for six years before he saw his first convert. He lost his wife, his daughter, his father within nine months. His brother died at the age of 35 on May 8th, 1829. Now you would think that this would push him into a further depression. But it actually began his recovery. When Judson had left England, his brother was lost. Far from God. Knowing that his brother did not die into the outer darkness reserved for those who do not know Christ, but that he was ushered into God's glorious inheritance for the saints, Judson began to come out of his darkness, and he wanted to bring the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, to the darkness of the folks in Burma. Judson's suffering was intense, but God made him fruitful in the land of his affliction. Judson wrote in 1831, the year he was coming out of his darkness. He says, the spirit of inquiry is spreading everywhere, through the whole length and breadth of the land. We have distributed nearly 10,000 tracts, giving to none but to those who ask. I presume there have been 6,000 applications of the house. Some come two or three months' journey from the borders of Siam and China. Sir, we hear that there is an eternal hell. We are afraid of it. Do give us a writing that will tell us how to escape it. Others from the frontiers of Cathay, 100 miles north of Ava. Sir, we have seen writings that tell us about an eternal God. Are you the man that gives away such writings? If so, pray give us one, for, for we want to know the truth before we die. Others from the interior of the country where the name of Jesus Christ is little known. Are you Jesus Christ's man? Give us a writing that tells us about Jesus Christ. See, it was, it was only Judson's darkness, his suffering, that enabled him to, to bring the light of the gospel, the glories of Christ, 
to a nation shrouded in darkness. When Justin arrived at Burma, there were no believers. Today, there are 4.5 million Christians because of his work and the work of others who are willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. God sent a suffering servant to help bring the light to the dark Burmese. Egypt was a lost and pagan nation, but God sent another suffering servant to save them. Genesis 41, 53 to 57. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was a famine in all the lands, and in the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Joseph said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine spread over all the land, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Hear me. There was bread in Egypt because God sent a suffering servant. There is bread now for us because God sent his suffering servant. Friends, God provided bread in Egypt to save sinners from physical death, but God provided bread for us to save us from eternal death. Jesus Christ said, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that he will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is why Jesus, at the night he was betrayed, took the bread and, and broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Beloved, we were like the, the Egyptians in our own spiritual famine. And without the bread of life, we will perish for all eternity. Our sin puts us in eternal danger with God. But now, we can live because God has sent the bread of life, Jesus Christ, who was broken for us so that we could feast for eternal life. I mean, have you feasted on the bread of life? Have you tasted the sweetness of Jesus Christ, who was willing to suffer and die so that you could feast with God at the great marriage feast of the Lamb? Friend, if you've never tasted the sweetness of following Christ, the Bible says you need to repent of your sins and trust in Him. If you turn from your sins and, and feast on the bread of life, Jesus Christ, you shall not hunger. He offers his body for sinners. Turn and trust in him. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. If you are a believer in Christ, your present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. We can endure our present trials, whatever they are, Because we know that the Lord will lift us out of the pit and set our feet in glory. We must view all our trials, all our sufferings, all our pain 
We must view them that they were ordered by infinite, loving, and merciful God. We want to feast on Christ so we shall no longer hunger. Feast on Christ so you'll be nourished during that trial. Feast on Christ and offer the, the bread of life to those who are in darkness. Feast on Christ for he is the bread of life broken for you. Feast on Christ and you will be satisfied. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would allow us to feast on the bread of life. In Jesus' name.